Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa hundreds killed after Sierra Leone mudslide. Kenya's president urges opposition to use the courts and U.S. President Donald Trump criticized for not taking a definitive stance on Charles Charlottesville violence. In sports news, South African A is in the driver's seat ahead of final day. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The death toll after Monday's massive mudslide on the outskirts of Sierra Leone's capital, Freetown, is expected to rise as hundreds of bodies are still trapped under the debris. More than 200 bodies have already been taken to the city's morgue. Deaths have also been reported in two other parts of the city. The BBC's James Kopner reports. One woman told the BBC that she had lost 11 members of her family. Others spoke of dead children. Some were simply too overcome by emotion to talk. The mudslide happened in a place called Regent, on the outskirts of the capital, Freetown, and submerged at least 100 houses. By some accounts, as many as 2,000 people are now homeless. Most of the people affected lived in informal settlements, apparently built without authorization. Mudslides and flooding are fairly common in Sierra Leone, but not on this scale, and as a result, the emergency services are struggling to cope. Kenya's President Uhura Kenyatta has appealed to the opposition to hold legal demonstrations and not street protests and allow Kenyans to get back to normal life after last week's disputed vote. Opposition leader Raila Odinga's rejection of the results for Tuesday's election, in which Kenyatta won 54% of the vote, has led to violent clashes between his supporters and police that have killed at least 16 people since Friday. Odinga has said he will announce the next course of action on Tuesday, while Kenyatta has repeated a call for peace. At least 18 people, including eight uh, foreigners, were gunned down in a Turkish restaurant in Burkina Faso, the latest West African attack to target a sport popular with experts. There has been no claim of responsibility for Sunday night's attack at the Aziz Istanbul restaurant, which was often packed with foreign nationals who went there to watch football. Foreign Minister Alpha Berry says the terrorist attack in the capital Ouagadougou killed uh, seven locals and at least eight foreigners, including one Frenchman, one Canadian woman, male victims from Senegal, Niger, Lebanon and Turkey, and two Kuwaiti women. Three victims remain unidentified. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma is to take over from Swaziland's King Mswati III as SADC chairperson at this week's 37th SADC Summit of Heads of State in Pretoria. King Mswati has held SADC members of state for providing necessary support during his 12-month tenure. The king says there is progress made in promoting economic growth, peace and stability in the region. You know, for the kingdom having to be chairing a number of organizations, the SADC 
of, of from being a developing country within the African continent and there's in, including SADAC, we have uh, time and again programs or in the agenda it is included to discuss peace and political stability within our region. Thanks God the SADAC region is, is in the right path, at least there's some progress. And finally, Zimbabwean First Lady Grace Mugabe may face prosecution for assault in South Africa. This after a 20-year-old model claims Mugabe assaulted her with an extension court in Senton, north of Johannesburg, on Sunday evening. She accused her of living with her sons. Department of International Relations spokesperson Clayson Mignola says diplomatic immunity can only be granted if the First Lady was in the country for official business. The Zimbabwean Mail reported that Mugabe was in the country to have her foot examined following an accident at the Harare International Airport. Channel Africa News. Thank you, Amanda. More than 300 people are reported dead in Sierra Leone in West Africa as a result of flooding and mudslides. It is understood that this disaster was caused by heavy rains that took place in the area of the capital, Freetown. Hundreds of people have been left homeless as their houses and belongings were destroyed. The BBC's Omaru Fofana reports. Well, I'm right on the ground. The road itself to the disaster area is almost impassable. Massive rocks and uh, this area called Mount Sugarloaf, the mountain, caved in in the early hours of this morning and it covered literally dozens of houses and hundreds of people, according to the country's vice president, who just spoke to me, are feared dead under the rubble. I spoke to a local chief who was wailing and shouting at the authorities, saying that uh, they had been calling for assistance, but that none came. And even when eventually some ambulances came, they came not to do any, re- any rescue. I went down to the spot myself, and you could see people using their bare hands, pulling up corpses from beneath the mud. Otherwise, no rescue whatsoever. The sheer size of this thing and the fact that the country's emergency services are eclectic are too double whammy. They cannot just cope with the sheer size of what is happening here. And it's not just the mudslide here. Dozens of corpses have been picked up in other parts of Freetown, in an area called Lomli and in another area called Juba, in the aftermath of the heavy downpour throughout last night. That was BBC's Umaru Fofana with an update on Sierra Leone's rainy conditions which have claimed the lives of more than 300 people. Kenya's president, Uhuru Kenyatta, on Monday urged the opposition to avoid violent protests and take grievances they have over the presidential election results to court. In his first public appearance since he was declared winner of the just-concluded election, Kenyatta urged police to use restraint while handling protesters, expressing anger over the poll's results. Meanwhile, calm has returned to most parts of the country that witnessed sporadic protest after the presidential elections were announced. Sarah Kimani has more. In Kibera, in Nairobi, John Odongo gets down to business. It's his first day of operations since Tuesday last week when Kenya went to the polls. His pockets are empty, he tells us. And if he does not open his shop today, soon his belly will also be empty. I'm here because I'm hungry. I've exhausted the little savings I have. 
he is among the very few business operators brave enough to resume operations here in Kibera, where sporadic protests have paralyzed business. A few kilometers from here, a group of women hold a vigil in memory of those who have died in violent protests following the announcement of the poll results. The main message we are trying to deliver with the people and the government is women are afraid. Women are so afraid of this election violence. The numbers of those killed vary depending on who you ask. The Kenya Red Cross Society indicated that they had recorded 17 deaths while 117 people injured. The injuries range from gunshot wounds to fractures and soft tissue injuries. Abbas Goulet is the Secretary General of the Kenya Red Cross Society. So, I mean, there are figures out there and I don't want to add more figures, okay, to be fair. But if you want me to say of what we, our tracing team, has checked and found out, we have nine in Nairobi and eight in Kisumu. What we now know that are in mortuary, those are the numbers that are there. And you can go to Nairobi mortuary, city mortuary, and you can go to uh, uh, the provincial hospital in Kisumu. At the office of the president... Basically, we're here, having reported to work, and... Uh, President Uhuru Kenyatta made his first public appearance since he was declared winner of this year's elections, urging the police not to use excessive force on demonstrators. We continue to encourage them to use restraint as they exercise their duties. And to his competitors. To our friends who have yet to accept the outcome, we continue to appeal to them that we have extended our arm and a hand of peace, and a hand of friendship, and for them to use whatever legal mechanisms that have been created by our wonderful constitution to express their dissatisfaction. But I truly believe that there is no single Kenyan anywhere who wants to continue to see violence, looting, and demonstrations that end up destroying property. But if, like I said, there are those who are aggrieved and feel that they are not willing to accept, there are also constitutionally laid down procedures that they can use to be able to express their dissatisfaction while allowing the many millions of Kenyans who wish to continue with their normal life to do so. Life was back to normal in the Nairobi Central Business District. It was clear that majority of Kenyans had largely ignored former Prime Minister Raila Odinga's calls to boycott work. Politics is, I mean, at the moment that is a done issue. That is a done issue to most of us because it contributes nothing to us. I'm a supporter of Raila Odinga and I really believe in what he says, but I think this is about an individual personal decision because if if anything comes by, like if there are consequences for me missing my job, it will be, I'll take it at an individual level. Odinga has said that he will announce his next move on Tuesday, but time is fast running out for him. If the opposition does not file a petition by Friday this week, Kenyatta will be sworn in for his second and last term on August 29th. Sarah Kimani, SBC News, Kenya.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. It's 7.12 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1947. India and Pakistan win independence. The Indian Independence Bill, which calls the independent nations of India and Pakistan out of the former Mughal Empire, came into force at the stroke of midnight. The long-awaited agreement ended 200 years of British rule. That's today in history in the year 1947. The Zimbabwean government on Monday confirmed Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa is still recuperating in a South African hospital amid unconfirmed reports he was poisoned on Saturday in Gwanda. Mnangagwa suffered from severe vomiting and diarrhea and was airlifted from Gwanda to a military hospital in Gweru. On Sunday, he was flown to South Africa where reports say he is critical. Although Mugabe confirmed his deputy was sick in South Africa, he could not give details. Meanwhile, reports say Mnangagwa could have been poisoned due to factional fights between his followers and those of Grace Mugabe, leading to public attacks by the First Lady. Resultantly, the Vice President tendered resignation a few days ago as Mugabe appeared unable to rein in his out- outspoken wife. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Following online reports that Zimbabwean Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa could have been poisoned on Saturday at a rally in Gwanda near South African border, government confirmed of his sickness Monday during the Heroes Day commemorations. Mnangagwa had to be airlifted from Gwanda to a military hospital in Gweru as his condition appeared to be critical. It is alleged the vice president fell ill after taking some poisoned ice cream at the rally in which some say could be a result of factional fights between him and Grace Mugabe. Although details of what really caused Mnangagwa's sickness are still sketchy, President Mugabe confirmed his deputy was sick in South Africa. Mugabe made the revelations during the Heroes Day commemorations in the capital. Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa is not back yet from hospital in Johannesburg. Mnangagwa's alleged food poisoning has become the talking matter in government as well as ZANU-PF as it comes just a few days after he allegedly tendered the resignation citing public attacks from Grace Mugabe. Meanwhile, details of the vice president's sickness are not clear, but the health minister David Parenyatwa had this to say. Uh, well, he had uh, a severe gastroenteritis, severe vomiting with diarrhea, and uh, um, became dehydrated. But we took him to the various hospital institutions, and he improved. He has been done a battery of tests, 
blood tests, stool tests, the normal routine um, tests uh, that will ascertain exactly what happened. So that's the situation that we have now. But is well. While some reports claim Munangagwa could be critical, government played down the claims and said the vice president is well. The only ones that we have are those uh, blood results, that the full blood count, uh, the urea and the electrolytes, if you understand those. Yeah, those are okay. He preferred to go there for his doctors, his, some of his doctors are in South Africa. So we sent him there. He's, he's well. I spoke to him this morning. He's well. On one hand, former ZANU-PF and independent legislator for Norton, Temba Muliswa bemoaned the fighting in ZANU-PF. Muliswa alleged the factional fights could have caused the death of Minister of State for Mashingo Shuvai Mawofa on Monday morning. No, I, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't spoken to Honorable Nangago. It's just what I'm reading and so forth. And I think, uh, like I say, there's got to be an investigation. He's a uh, Honorable Vice President. Even when I moved to think Parliament, he's the head of government business. It's also incumbent upon us parliamentarians to find out what really happened at the end of the day. Was it? Um, was there? Was there any foul play to it and so forth? So there, there's got to be answers because you cannot allow this to happen without there being an investigation and so forth. And unfortunately, we've got again uh, Honourable Mama Hofa. She's also late, and you know that for a very long time, because of the pressures in the party, she also did complain a lot of what was going on. I think she did go to, to South Africa for some treatment as well. So, you know, these things are happening at a time when really, you know, we're heading for elections, but there seems to be more fight within the party than really outside. The late Mahofa complained of food poisoning sometime last year during a ZANU-PF conference and has been in and out of hospital in South Africa until her death Monday. In conclusion, Mugabe called for restraint between the police and army. As a result of the factional fights, there are divisions in the police and army such that they fought in public a few days ago. Mugabe made the plea. That incident or incident when a few soldiers took to, to the streets to be policemen is regrettable. I discussed it with the commanders and asked <coughs> that they talk about it and try to prevent its recurrence. Soldiers and, uh, and the police are cross purposes and they go for each other. How will they prevent people who are cross purposes from doing the same? In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. The African National Congress Women's League in South Africa has refuted what they call the misleading false narrative article by Sibonga Gwonge Shoba of the Sunday Times regarding the position of women 
of the Women's League on the reported case of, phys- of physical assault against Deputy Minister Mduduzi Manana and his friends. The Sunday Times reported that Lamini would not call for Manana's removal from government as the assault allegations against him were being used as a political tool. However, the Sunday Times is said it's standing by its story as they have a recording of the interview. Take a listen to the following clip of ANC Women's League's President Batabile Lamini giving the league stance on Manana's assault case. Don't start from him. If we want to say uh, everyone who occupies a, a senior position in government, we must know uh, his a track record because there are those that are actually worth the name. Must come out, uh, out in the open. We must know uh, them. We must know uh, how they are going to be rehabilitated. As the Women's League, it is our role to fight uh, for, oh, on, on the issues of uh, women, gender-based uh, violence. And uh, Mina, I don't uh, want to be part uh, of those games of saying, he resign or not. When uh, even in other parties, there is sexual harassment and uh, it is not uh, treated the way it is treated in the ANC. And I refuse that uh, this issue be made a political tool. It's not a political tool. You are talking about the lives of women. For now, we've always been saying Umundu is innocent until proven guilty. That is what uh, we've been uh, saying. There, there is a number of uh, measures that we have to put when uh, we are all honest. Because the media... You choose uh, those uh, you like, you don't like, you are hard on them. Others, you keep quiet with them. Oh, I don't want anyone to use me. There was a member of the DA that uh, sexually harassed a woman while they were on the march. And uh, the case has vanished and no one asked Ellen Ville if uh, he was, she was going to expel that man from the DA. You see... I mean, I'm not working for newspapers, and mm. uh, I was not made by any newspaper. And therefore, if I want to say what I, I want to say, I will write down and say it so that uh, people know where we stand as the ANC Women's League. That was ANC Women's League's president, Batabile Zamini. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. It's 7.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1899 in Detroit, Michigan, America. Henry Ford resigned his position as chief engineer at the Edison Illuminating Company's main plant in order to concentrate on automobile production. That's today in history in the year 1899. 
Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. U.S. President Donald Trump is facing criticism from both Republicans and Democrats for his response to violence at a Virginia white supremacist rally. A woman was killed and 19 people were injured when a car plowed into a crowd of counter-protesters in Charlottesville. Trump condemned violence by many sides but stopped short of explicitly condemning the far right. The BBC's Jewel Gunter reports. Vacation suspended. The president returned to Washington from his holiday to meet the director of the FBI and the attorney general following the weekend violence in Charlottesville. Clear. Meanwhile, in the University of Virginia town, there were scuffles outside the court where James Alex Fields appeared on murder charges after a car plowed into anti-racism protesters. The president's everyone's to blame response and silence until now lit a firestorm of criticism. So why has Donald Trump been so unusually tongue-tied over this? While the number of fully paid-up white supremacists may be relatively small, the number who have sympathies is probably far larger. And they were among the most vociferous supporters of him last November. Certainly, his surrogates have condemned the far right. But Donald Trump reluctantly so. A dramatic shift in language from the embattled president. He sounded tense. There was no freewheeling as he gripped the lectern and gripped every word on the auto cue, his eyes barely moving. Racism is evil and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. We are a nation founded on the truth that all of us are created equal. We are equal in the eyes of our Creator. We are equal under the law. And we are equal under our Constitution. And that was U.S. President Donald Trump ending that report by the BBC's Joel Gunter. The South Korean President Moon Jae-in says there will be no military action on the peninsula without his country's consent. Earlier, North Korea said its leader Kim Jong-un had been fully briefed on plans to launch missiles near the U.S. Pacific Territory of Guam. A state news agency says Kim will watch American actions for a time before deciding whether to order any launch. The BBC's Yogita Limaya reports. President Moon has been trying to defuse the situation. Yesterday he very emphatically came out and said that he doesn't want war on the Korean Peninsula. He wants a peaceful resolution to the situation. He also met with America's highest ranking general, uh, General Joseph Dunford, who was visiting South Korea yesterday. Uh, And during that conversation, General Dunford assured him that diplomatic and economic pressure was being put on North Korea and military action would only be used if those options failed.
If you look at what North Korea has said in that statement that's been put out by their official news agency KCNA, that's saying that for now Kim Jong-un will watch the situation, will give a little more time to the US and see how it's conducting itself uh, and then will decide whether or not to execute the plan. Very clearly said that the plan was to fire four missiles at the waters around Guam. It does seem like sharpening rhetoric at this point. You know, analysts I have spoken to say they don't believe that, you know, either side will act on their threats. But perhaps because we've heard such fierce statements also coming from the U.S. this time around, uh, what's happened is that tensions are higher in this region than they perhaps have been in recent times. And that report by the BBC's Yogita Limaye. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial... 605-47-1711 Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The death toll in Sierra Leone's massive mudslide in the capital Freetown has risen to over 300. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta appeals for peace following the death of 16 people in post-election violent clashes in 
opposition continued street protests. And Zimbabwean First Lady Grace Mugabe may face a prosecution for assault in South Africa. This after a 20-year-old model claims Mugabe assaulted her with an extension cord in Centre, north of Johannesburg, on Sunday evening. Details on these and other stories at the top of the hour. Thank you, Amanda. The Democratic Republic of Congo's opposition rally has warned the country's electoral commission to name the date of the elections at the end of September. Otherwise, an operation to oust President Joseph Kabila will start on the 1st of October. As reaction, the commission said it will call the electorate as soon as voter registration is concluded. Meanwhile, the United Nations mission in the DRC believes there is no other solution for peace in that country but to hold elections according to last December's agreement. Januel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of Congo is now facing serious political trouble due to the delay of both presidential and parliamentary elections that were supposed to be held in November last year. The October 2016 political agreement pushed the polls to April 2018, but since the agreement was not inclusive, an inclusive one concluded in December same year scheduled elections to end December 2017. The Independent National Electoral Commission has already said it's impossible for this country to hold elections this year. But the opposition rally has warned the commission has to call the electorate end September. Otherwise, an operation to kick President Joseph Kabila out will start on October 1st. Jean-Bertrand Ewanga is a rally's senior executive. Il faut que les actions qui ont été décidées soient mises en œuvre. Actions that have been decided must be proceeded because it's Kabila who has blocked the electoral process and he has to go because he doesn't deserve a third term. The Electoral Commission has to call the electorate on September 30th and if it's not done then on October 1st the operation to kick Kabila out starts. More than 35 million voters have already been registered for the upcoming elections and the operation continues although it was scheduled to be completed end July. The electorate can only be called if everything related to the voter registration has been concluded and this will be done as soon as the operation finishes. That's indeed what the chairman of the Independent National Electoral Commission, Corne Nanga, told Channel Africa. Once the registration will be finished, we'll do the seats grouping and then call the electorate. We'll order proper equipment, we'll train the staff and deploy them with equipment. Everybody must work for us to hold the elections the Congolese expect. And indeed, there is no other solution for the Democratic Republic of Congo to get peace back but to hold elections according to last December agreement. That's what the UN mission here believes. Monusco spokesperson Fabienne Pompey told the Channel Africa this country needs a free and fair elections as soon as possible. This is very important for the stability of DRC that free and fair elections are held as soon as possible. In the 31 December accord, all the parties decide that they will have an election before the end of the year. So we, as MONUSCO, at the UN, we do whatever we can 
to provide support so this election can be held before the end of the year. This is an agreement between all Congolese parties and we support it. We are waiting for the National Commission to publish a calendar. And then the parties that have signed this accord will decide the next step. But until we have this calendar, we stick to what is in the agreement. The agreement puts it clear presidential and both national and provincial elections have to be held the same day no later than December 31st but now only about four months remain and there is no sign of this election's feasibility. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma is to take over the SADC chair from Swazi King Mswati III at the 37th Heads of State Summit in Pretoria this week. The King says there has been progress promoting economic growth, peace and stability in the region during his 12-month tenure. Mutsibi Munareng reports. The outgoing chairperson of SADC Swaziland King Mswati III says there has been progress made in the region in promoting peace and stability. This is the assertion of King Mswati when reflecting on his experience as SADC chair. King Mswati gave the SABC an exclusive interview at the Lozita Royal Palace east of Swaziland's capital Mbabane. He says he enjoyed the necessary support he received from the members' heads of state. With all the leaders and the, the government and the people of all the different countries, uh, we've, we have you know, experienced good relationship and we've always tried to maintain uh, that kind of uh, style. King Muswati pointed out the progress made in implementing projects aimed at promoting trade and economic growth amongst other things. Among them, the establishment of a SADC University of Transformation. The university is expected to give new hope and opportunity for young people, focusing more on technical vocational education. The, the SADC organization has helped us to, to, to lay a foundation, a foundation which the kingdom now has to start running, ensure, ensuring that the university is, is of course, set out uh, we are still looking at strategies and all that in terms of uh, mobilizing resources. There's been a lot of uh, people who have shown an interest, especially some who have studied here in the kingdom, uh, who today uh, are exposed to different kinds of organizations that they would like to contribute. The king also reflected the challenges facing certain countries such as malaria and HIV and AIDS. Among them, the high unemployment rate, water shortage, and food insecurity. King Moswati says instability is a contributing factor to the problems facing the region. The chances of elimination of malaria are not very far. Uh, signs are, are there uh, as the region is fighting very hard, even issues of like HIV AIDS. Uh, we've been glad as the kingdom that we've been awarded uh, to, to the fight against HIV-AIDS by the Global Fund. They gave us an award for the reduction of infections. There's been a widespread condemnation of the king taking over the position of chairman from President Ian Kama of Botswana. Pro-democracy groups argued that the king's administration continuously violates rights of citizens by preventing freedom of speech and association. But King Muswati states that his kingdom is governed through the will of the people of Swaziland. When we created the constitution, this is a constitution which went around 
uh, the people of this country. Every Swazi participated, uh, was invited to come to make submissions in terms of how you, how you want to see uh, your, the constitution of this country. Uh, even when the constitution was drafted, uh, before it was actually adopted, it also was given back to the nation to read uh, and uh, everyone what they read and then they, everyone was able to, was given a chance to make submissions and uh, to comment. Uh, and uh, this was a process which took some, some years. So we, we finally have a, a product uh, of after nine years of consultation. Kim Muswat will be handing over the chairmanship to President Jacob Zuma at the 37th SADC Summit of Heads of State and Government held in the country's capital Pretoria. Mutsibwa Munareng, Lozita Royal Palace, Swaziland. It's 7.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in... 1938, Maxine Waters, Congresswoman from California, became the second African-American woman to be elected to Congress. That was today in history in the year 1938. Three suspected robbers have been killed and one seriously injured in a shootout with the police. This comes after a security guard from a cash and transit van was robbed of two cash boxes at a garage in Hillcrest in Durban, South Africa. The robbers fled the scene in a blue city golf. The police mobilized teams and gave chase. When they approached the suspect's vehicle, shots were fired at the police, resulting in the shootout. Klonipile Fagazi reports. Tales of blood, dead bodies and bullet holes in cars were evidence of a bloody shootout between the police and robbers on the M13 highway near Deben's Paradise Valley. It left motorists shocked and shaken while a police helicopter was circling above forensic experts gathering evidence at the scene. The drama started when a security guard was robbed of an undisclosed amount of cash that was collected at a petrol station in Hillcrest. Police units gave chase with the robbers shooting at them. The driver of the fleeing car lost control of the vehicle, causing its roll, hit a barrier and come to a stop on the center median. Police spokesperson Tembega says inquest dockets have been opened after three suspects were shot dead. We cannot confirm the, the, the amount of cash that was recovered. A case of inquest, uh, attempted murder, and armed robbery, as well as possession of Alice's firearm and ammunition will be uh, registered and investigated by the inquest police station in Pantone for now. Meanwhile, Mbele called on community members to inform the police if they have information about planned robberies. We also want to request the, the business people to beef up the security. If uh, they know there'll be money that will be collected from, the, from their businesses, this will ensure that there is a, there's more security besides the, the, one, the one that is employed there. The police are there, they are, uh, they are patrolling the area, but we just request also the members of community to inform the police if they know of the planned cash. <laughs> chances of armed robbery so that the police will try and avoid it. 
Police recovered four firearms and two boxes of cash at the scene. The condone of crime scene severely disrupted a late afternoon traffic. I'm Shoni Pile Fagazi, SABC News, Pinetown. The organizers of the upcoming human rights conference in Botswana have confirmed that the exiled Tibetan spiritual leader, the Dalai Lama, is no longer going to attend the event later this week as scheduled. The 82-year-old who lives in exile in India was scheduled to speak at a three-day conference in Botswana's capital, Khaburoni, which begins on Thursday. But he has cancelled the trip out of concern for his health. The cancellation of the trip came weeks after Botswana confirmed it would allow the Dalai Lama to visit the country as a foreign dignitary, despite strong opposition from China. Susan Bauer-Wool, president of the Mind and Life Institute, the organization hosting the event, has more on the reasons which led to the cancellation of the Buddhist leaders' trip. His holiness is poor health. He is 82 years old and he was having medical appointments last week. He had four days of medical appointments and the doctor's advice was that he should not travel such a long distance for this trip. Now, the scheduled visit had caused some diplomatic tensions as we spoke about it previously when we talked to you. Some have already drawn their own conclusions about this, saying that uh, pressure from China on Khaboroni not to allow His Holiness into the country had to do with the cancellation. How do you respond to this as uh, the organizers of the event? That is not true. Uh, China has nothing to do with the cancellation of his visit. It is completely due to his um, to his health and his exhaustion and medical advice. And this, um, the doors for his entry were opened widely from uh, the government of Botswana. And we were very grateful to the government of Botswana for generously welcoming him and also continuing to allow us to hold the conference which will happen, and it's an opportunity to shine light on um, African values and the, the culture that supports a sense of unity and connection and compassion. Now, the event was punted around His Holiness as he was going to be the main guest speaker there. Have you found his replacement yet, or are you just going to leave things as, as they are? Well, to clarify, he was going to be on stage in conversation with many world-class humanitarian leaders, spiritual leaders, and scientists and scholars. He was going to be engaging them and listening to their presentations and commenting on them. All of those people are still coming, and we expect that it's going to be a very, very strong message, and we are going to live stream it, and we are recording it, and it's going to be shared with millions worldwide. And for those who are fortunate enough to be present at the event, it will be a wonderful, wonderful event. And we will have His Holiness's longtime um, English translator, who is a um, very esteemed scholar himself. His name is Tukin Jimpa, and he will be there and will be providing the um, presence on the stage and be a commentator, just like His Holiness would be. That was Susan Bauer-Wu, president of the Mind and Life Institute, on the line from Khaburoni in Botswana, speaking to Channel Africa's Kumbela Munjalele. It's 6.46, rather 7.46 Central African time. And our economics update up next with Tavis Olohoko.
Thanks, Sibalungile. Nigeria's Zenith Bank has made a provision on 30% of its loan to the country's fourth-largest telecoms group, Nine Mobile, formerly known as Etisalat Nigeria. Nigerian regulators stepped in last month to save Etisalat Nigeria from collapse and prevent lenders placing the country's fourth-biggest telecoms group into receivership, prompting a board, management and name change. Kenya's main stock index has risen 2.51% to a 14-month high, building on gains last week as investors welcomed the re-election of President Uhuru Kenyatta. The NSC 20 index rose nearly 7% since the election last Tuesday. Kenyatta was declared winner by clear margin on Friday, but his main challenger, Raila Odinga, has not yet conceded defeat. Scores of people have been killed in pockets of protests against the outcome of the vote, mainly in two Nairobi slums. Ratings agency Moody's is expected to release an economic opinion on South Africa. The note is expected to be a normal quarterly macroeconomic update. Markets had anticipated an announcement by Moody's on Friday on the country's credit rating, but the agency chose not to release a review. Analysts expect Moody's to keep the country's foreign debt rating on the cusp of investment grade with a negative outlook. Egypt's Beltone Financial will launch a one billion US dollar investment fund in fixed income instruments in September. Chief Executive Officer Bazim Azab says that the investment bank aims to raise one fifty to two hundred million dollars in the first phase of the investment fund. Beltone aims to acquire brokerages in Egypt and frontier markets. Sudan's annual inflation rate has risen to 34.23% in July from 32.63% in June. The Sudanese pound has weakened and prices have climbed since the United States said on July the 11th that it was deferring the sanctions decision for three months. Sudan says it has complied with all U.S. demands for lifting sanctions over human rights and other issues which have been in place for 20 years and have hobbled the economy. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.34 in South Africa, it's at 10.14 in Botswana and at 8.95 in Zambia. It's also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and at 0.84 to the euro. Gold $1,283, platinum $974 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $52.08 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. We begin in our sports update this hour with rugby news. The Springboks are expecting a tight encounter against Argentina when they play the first 2017 rugby championship encounter on Saturday at Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium in South Africa's Eastern Cape province. And for that reason, 
box assistant coach Johan van Gran says the team will focus on the fine-tuning their preparation this week in anticipation of fired up Pumas inside. Van Gran added that the Springboks were happy with their preparation so far in the friendly city. The match kicks off at Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium at 1700 hours Central African time. Meanwhile, the final Kenya Simbas rugby squad to play Hong Kong in two international test rugby matches in Nairobi will be named on Wednesday at the RFUEA grounds. Simbas will play the Dragons on the 20th of August and the 26th at the RFUEA grounds. Simbas team manager Wangila Simunyu says they will name a strong side that will be a fuse of youth and experience. Simuyu revealed that they are taking the two matches seriously and thus the need to put out a strong side. Simuyu says these two matches are very crucial for them and they need to fill the side that will claim victory. Simbas will be using the matches to prepare for November's Four Nations Test Series in Hong Kong and next year's 2019 World Cup qualifiers. Simuyu confirmed that Kenya has landed an invite to the Hong Kong Cup slated for the 10th to the 18th of November this year. Simbas will play defending champions Russia, Chile, and the hosts. In athletics, Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt took an emotional final bow on the track at the end of the World Championships in London on Sunday before declaring that definitely and definitely there was no way he would ever return to sprinting. Bolt tore the London Stadium very slowly, walking stiffly to say goodbye to his fans. Journalists later asked him if he might consider a return to the track, but he ruled it out. For me, it was brilliant, you know what I mean? Uh, the support is, hasn't changed, you know what I mean? I expected this. Uh, it's just really sad that I have to walk away now. Um, but the energy of the crowd was outstanding as always, and I really loved them. Was, they made me feel so at home and so welcome. Uh, my fans really loved me, and I really appreciate that. You saying, I think yeah, yesterday was... Uh Sad day for the world. Is that for me? I'm. I was saying goodbye to the fans, and for me, I'm just always. I'm just saying goodbye to my events also. These are my two events that I've dominated dominated for years. So I was just saying goodbye to everything. You know what I mean? Uh, I think I almost cried. It was close, but it didn't come. <laughs> uh, but I was just saying goodbye. That's pretty much it. I was saying goodbye to my events. He says he had felt consoled when someone reminded him that Muhammad Ali had lost his last fight too. I don't think one championship is going to change what I've done, really. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember after losing the, the 100 meters, uh, someone said to me that, you say, no worry, Muhammad Ali lost his last fight also, so don't be stressed about that. And for me, I've proven myself year in, year out throughout my whole career. And uh, I don't think one championship or one race or the fact that I I didn't end my last race is going to change the fact of what I've done in the sport. Finally, with cycling news, World Tour Outfit says South Africa's Louis Menkes will ride for African team Dimension Data next year. A 25-year-old Menkes started out with Dimension Data but left in 2016 to join Lambre Merida, who became UAE this year. Two successive eighth-place finishes in the Tour de France followed and the talented climber is now set to return to Africa's premier team. Team principal Douglas Ryder says Louis was a part of their initial journey and they are delighted to have him rejoin their team as they embark on the next part of the team's dream. 
Ryder says they hope Menkis would help them achieve a top three finish in a grand tour. Menkis will be on the start lineup at the Volta España, which starts on Saturday. He finishes, or rather, he finished 10th at the Volta in 2015, while last year he was 7th in the Olympic Games road race. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news, and another hour of Africa Rise and Shine on the frequency 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to West Africa is Sodad by Ivoria.
saudade Saudade desse minha terra sem inclar Saudade 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 desse minha terra sem inclar Saudade, saudade 